Over the next six weeks or so, we're going to find ourselves in Proverbs more than once. We're not really doing a series on Proverbs. We're going to be focusing on the set-apart stewardship focus. Uh, But through that, there'll be Proverbs coming in and out. And so this week, I not only want to look at Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 15, maybe even 16 and 17 with you, but also just kind of give you a bird's eye view of of the book of Proverbs. The the book of Proverbs starts on page 527 of your pew Bible, and I encourage you to turn there. We're just going to flip a few pages for a moment and and give you again this this overview of the book. Uh, Before we do that, uh, let me tell you the book is really divided into two major sections, and then that second section is itself divided into about four other sections. We'll, we'll kind of leave those for somewhere else today. But the two major sections are kind of important if you want to make use of the book of Proverbs. For example, uh, one of the things that the Sons of Solomon, a prayer discipline that, that not a few of the men in our congregation have begun to practice uh, to great value in their life, is to read a proverb, this one, every single day. And without question, that is easier to do if you start at chapter 10. Because from chapter 10 to chapter 30, you have single verse proverbs, uh, bits of wisdom that by and large will stand by themselves. You can just put it on a, on a piece of art at Hobby Lobby and it'll still work. Although don't take a dog by the ears isn't one I, I haven't seen at Hobby Lobby, but you could do it, okay? So the first Nine chapters are a bit different. They're more like a treatise on wisdom, a thesis paper on what it means to be wise. And I used to really not like that section very much. I found it hard to read. I found it, uh, dare I say, repetitive. It was once I started looking at it in the Hebrew that I started to realize the repetition was not a, a bug It was a feature. It was something that could improve my understanding. I'll try to give you a taste of that today. But just know, if you start in Proverbs chapter 1 and read through chapter 9, it's going to come as a big chunk. And there are sections. There's a section on Lady Wisdom. There's two sections on Dame Folly. So it breaks down, but it still reads more like a book. And then once you hit chapter 10, it's going to read like a list. And again, that list, I highly recommend you just take one of those a day, read it in the morning with whatever else you're doing, make me write it down on a piece of paper, make a note, put it in your pocket, put it on your fridge, see it more than once throughout the day. You do that for a year, guess what you're going to be? You won't be a fool. I'll tell you that. You'll be wiser than you were. Okay, so you found Proverbs chapter one now on, uh, on page 527. The thing I want to show you is how then in this opening section, he does have these breaks that Solomon puts. Look at verse eight. It says, hear my son. Now, uh, turn the page and find your way to uh, chapter two, verse one. It says, my son. Look at chapter three, verse one. It says, my son. Chapter three, verse 11. My son. Yeah. Chapter 4, verse 1, hear my, it says children, hear my sons, plural. And then chapter 4, verse 10, hear my son. 
chapter 5, verse 1, my son. There are sections that will break this up, and they each are, are peppered by this claim, hey, my boy, listen to me. Now, um, my own theory about the book itself, by the way, is that Solomon wrote Proverbs after he had become a fool. If you read Ecclesiastes, he will tell the story of how in order to gain wisdom, he became a fool. And he gave himself over to find out the very depths of being an idiot. And at the end result of this, it wasn't good. And he remembered that he needed faith in God. Now, if you remember the story of Solomon's life, this is in fact what he does. The guy had what? 300 wives plus concubines? Most of them foreign, which means not believers in Christ, which means he's breaking the commandments of God according to his covenant, the old covenant. And so God comes to him and says, I'm going to rip the kingdom from your son. Not from you, from your son. For the sake of David, your father, you get to keep the kingdom until you die. Now, I think that's when he started writing Proverbs. Not, uh, you could take it two ways. Was he trying to stop God's judgment from coming? If he was wise, he knew he wasn't going to stop God's judgment from coming. But maybe, maybe he could convince his son after the judgment comes to be faithful, to repent, to seek Jesus. And maybe, maybe that would bring about a restoration of the kingdom some other day. Of course, I believe Hezekiah and Jehoshaphat and Josiah, they all kind of hope for these things. We know that in Jesus Christ, this has happened. When Jesus read this and it said, my son, he heard it as from his father in heaven. When you read it then, I want you to read it as you are the son of your father in heaven because you're one with Jesus Christ. All right, so, so these sections of sonship, what it means to have the mind of God, are peppered throughout chapters 1 through 9. Today, we're just going to look at most of, not even all of, but most of chapter 2, which is its own section. So that's on page 528. And uh, before we do this, I'm, I'm going to have you do a little experiment here as well. Uh, if you're willing, I know some of you, this is like the hardest thing in the world. Take out one of those little blank note cards from the pew in front of you and the pen. And it's like, it's like, it's like pulling teeth, right? Uh, if you got your own pen and paper, that's fine. I want you to write down two words next to each other, but with a little space between them. I want you to write down the word wisdom W-I-S-D-O-M. Yeah. And I want you to write down the word understanding. U-N-D-E-R-S-T-A-N-D-I-N-G. And now, underneath those two words, I want you to write down the word knowledge. K-N-O-W-L-E-D-G-E. Now, I want you just to look at that little triangle you made. Just kind of look at it. And I want you to Ask yourself, what's the difference? What's the difference between wisdom and understanding? What's the difference between understanding and knowledge? Is there any? And the answer is yes. And that's a lot of what Solomon wants us to get because understanding and wisdom are beginning to see those differences. From the moment you can see that wisdom and understanding are not the same, you become wiser than you were. And you understand more than you did. 
So now, just for your own kind of head a little bit, wisdom is not knowledge in this way. Knowledge is inside of you based upon what's outside of you. You know there's this other stuff. The sky is blue. The grass is green. Red means stop. Green means go. That's knowledge. Wisdom is based on what is inside of you changing what you see, right? So uh, red means stop, so you slow down as you approach the stoplight. That's because of the wisdom inside of you. It is related to knowledge. They're not, they're not far apart like, like black and white, right? Like, like good and evil, uh, but they are different. The knowledge is outside. It comes in, and based on having the knowledge, you see differently. Understanding is closer to knowledge, excuse me, is closer to wisdom than it is to knowledge. Understanding is a whole package reality. It's to both know and see at the same time. It's the totality. Uh, the, the root of the word understanding in Hebrew is, is being. You know, sounds like a kidney bean or a green bean. It's just spelled B-I-N basically though. And that word is going to show up over and over and over and over in our text today. Like I didn't count it, but at least seven times. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, being as, as a root, understanding means um, between two. There's one thing, there's another thing, and then what's the difference? If you know the difference, you have understanding. So you know one thing, you know another thing, and between them is understanding. Yes? So uh, with that as a a bit of a philosophy, I'm sorry, did I just teach you philosophy? I think so. As a bit of a philosophy, uh, let that be our lead in here, because you're going to see this showing up in the text. All right? All right, so verse 1 of chapter 2 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments, Within you, throughout Psalms and Proverbs, the the need for the word of God is predominant. Bible-believing Christianity didn't start with Jesus. The need for the word that God has said to be the word that we believe, to become the words that we again say, is the way God has acted from the moment that he made us let alone the moment he promised to redeem us. And so if you want wisdom, if you want to know who God is, you're going to have to have the words that God speaks become your words. You have to, it says, receive them. Now, I love this word for receive in Hebrew. It's not like our word for receive. Uh, It does more than one thing. So at Christmas time in Hebrew, you receive a gift. And at Christmas time, The same word in Hebrew, you grab the gift. Same word. How do you know whether the person is receiving it or seizing it, grabbing it? Context, context. Uh, But but I like to think of it as both. That even when someone has given something to me, my heart grabs it. Yeah. And certainly the thief, when he seizes something and he gets away with it, uh, he, he thinks he's received it. Yeah. So the word is the same. And you, you see some of the wisdom in Hebrew as a language there, just, just with that. Yeah. So if you will receive my words, flip this on its head. Seize the word of God. Take it, grab it, make it yours. Yeah. 
treasure up my commandments with you. And that word commandment is very much Ten Commandments. Old Testament, this is what is truth. Do this, don't do that. But notice how he says, my commandments. So what Solomon is saying is not just that there's Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy, but that what he teaches is as good as a commandment from God. And what does he teach? Again, what's the commandment? Get wisdom. Uh, get wisdom. That, that's coming here in a moment. Verse 2, making your ear attentive to wisdom. The English is so boring. It means bending your ear to wisdom. Bending your ear to wisdom. I love it, right? Uh, trying to hear it. Crying out for it. Uh, rest of the verse, inclining your heart. This is to like bow down or to spread out. Spreading out your heart for understanding. Now, Notice how that word understanding and wisdom, they have just shown up. Those two words that were on, on your page. Bend your ear to learn to see, right? Spread out your heart to know the difference. If you will do this, still it's all if here. Verse 3, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Now here's, here's where the real trick is. Guess what? That word insight and that word understanding, they're both being. Same word. Well, why did the English put the word insight? Well, they didn't want to bore you. That's why. It would be boring if you put the same word twice. And so they, they shift it to make it feel better to us. But I think you kind of lose something then in the translation. He's really emphasizing. This will be the third time he said understanding is important. Knowing the difference is important. Knowing the difference between Jesus and the devil, important. Huh? Knowing the difference between up and down, also important. To be able to tell one thing from another, what, uh, I don't know, man, woman, important. Huh? So if you will, call out, raise your voice for understanding. If you will, it says again, raise your voice for understanding twice. Now, think of James. James chapter 1. That if you will ask Jesus for wisdom, he will generously give you the Holy Spirit. Huh? I've made you do this before. I don't know if it's had any benefit in your life personally. I've made you say, Jesus, please give me wisdom. Let's do it again. Jesus, please give me wisdom. He always says yes to that by increasing your understanding of Christianity, which, by the way, would be to increase your faith. I remember Luke just a few moments ago. If you call out for understanding, if you raise your voice for understanding, now verse 4, if you seek it like silver, it's better than money. It's better than money. I know, money. We all need it. We all want it. We never have enough of it. Even when we have enough of it, we don't think we have enough of it. It is our tendency to be discontent, to desire what we do not have, and to want more. Start seeing that and saying to your own head, wanting more wisdom would be wiser than that. I'm not saying your heart's going to feel better. I'm saying just start being true <laughs> against your heart. Oh, I'm coveting. You know what would be more valuable than coveting? Wisdom. Jesus, give me wisdom. Guess what? The moment you pray for wisdom in the midst of coveting, guess what? Well, you're not a fool. You're wiser than you were. 
Seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure. I mean, golly, we make it as boring as we can. It really is like buried treasure, like X marks the spot, right? Not just hidden kind of somewhere, but like it's buried out in the field. Uh, Jesus tells a parable about that too, doesn't he now? Now, notice one, two, three, four. If, 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 if. You know, I don't like the word if, right? Um, Although I think it's right here. It could be since, but I don't think so. I think it's if. You could translate it as when, though. That's helpful. When you receive the words, when you treasure the commandments, when you bend your ear, when you call out for understanding, when you seek it like silver, verse 5, then you will understand the fear of... What do you say when you see the Lord in the Old Testament? I encourage you to see it as Jesus Christ. You will understand the fear of Jesus who is Lord and find the knowledge of God therein, right? When Jesus is Lord, you know who God the Father is. No one comes to the Father except through the Son, right? And the only ones who know the Son are those to whom the Father has revealed him. When you search for the right distinction, when you seek and ask God to show you the difference between good and evil, you will find Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the difference between good and evil. He is the difference between light and darkness. His death upon the cross is the knowledge of who God is. And by the way, that you know, knowledge of God is literally what it says in Hebrew, knowledge of God. Um, and remember, knowledge is different than wisdom and all this, but there's a, there's a fancy Greek-based sort of dogmatic term that I know pastors like to use a lot. And I know when we use it, your eyes glaze over. Uh, it's, it's the word theology. Yeah, I know. You just did it. You just all fell asleep. I watched it happen. It's like a wave through, through the congregation. Yeah, theology, it just means to know God. To know God. So if someone's teaching theology and you don't come out knowing Jesus better, then they're teaching false theology, actually. Even if they say it was true, they managed to bury it underneath a bunch of terminology. Uh, Here again, he says, seek wisdom. You're going to find out who God really is. You're going to know. God will be from outside as real and come into you. Remember, knowledge is from outside to in. He will be true from the outside. It will come into you. You will know who he is. Now, let's just address this fear of Jesus thing. I mean, it really does mean fear, but it also means faith. The two go together. Uh, You cannot trust Jesus to be your savior if you don't at the same time fear that he might not be. You have to know it's possible for him to not be, to want him to be so. There must be a difference between who you are without Jesus and who you are with Jesus. And when you come to terms with that difference, when you understand that difference, the proper response of the sinner is fear. That doesn't mean you run away from him. It means you you run to him. I mean, there are two kinds of fear. There's the fear that you hear this noise way over there and you run away from it. And then there's something, it's called by the scholastics, phileo fear, the fear of your father. Everybody fears their father. And that's why you run to him. Now, if the father scares you in such a way that you run away, there's a, there's a problem in that relationship. 
But the fear of Jesus is the good kind of fear. It's the one that recognizes that he's powerful enough to save you, which means you're not as powerful as him, which means he's a little bit dangerous. But he's also good. And so you bow the knee. Yeah? You call out to him. You cry out in good fear. Now, so Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 has been all about, do you want wisdom? Do you want knowledge? Do you want understanding? No, Jesus. Find the cross. See the Son of Man born to die. Understand his ascension to the right hand of God. Believe that he is coming again. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And then this same Jesus, verse 6, he gives wisdom. He is wisdom and he gives wisdom. And this means both to know who he is, but also, like we started, to be able to distinguish light and darkness. To be able to tell one from two. God makes that possible. In fact, we might even be able to make the case that all of the good things that modern society has come to enjoy, think electricity, think plumbing, think whatever it is on a basic or an extreme level, that all of these things were made possible by medieval Christianity's belief that the world made sense because God made it. And so it's possible to see it, understand it, and apply the knowledge of it. Other pagan societies, by and large, did not do that. Certainly not in the West. One can make the case that China figured some of this out. The point is not that it's impossible for the pagan to believe in order. The point is it's unlikely because also there's a lot of disorder in the world. There's a lot of chaos. And in fact, if you want some more, go study quantum physics. You'll find out it's not nearly as ordered as everybody assumed. It's a bit weird down there on the quantum level. Huh? So point here, that you as a Christian are promised. You don't get to, you don't have to. You're promised to see more clearly than non-Christians. Now, the fact that we live in a time when Christians do not necessarily see more clearly, like many of them would rather listen to the non-Christians, have them tell them everything they're supposed to do, than listen to the scriptures. Well, that, that, that's something to repent of. Something to not like. Right? And even not liking the fact that we're not doing as well as we could be is the beginning again of, of wisdom, of telling the difference. Yeah, Jesus Christ gives wisdom. Let's ask again. Jesus, give me wisdom. Jesus, give me wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Notice the repetition. There's knowledge, there's understanding. They're two different things. They relate to each other and together they make wisdom. Verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. I, I really, really don't like the translation of that word as sound wisdom. It's in most translations. They, they translate it as sound wisdom. And it's because the word is related to wisdom, but it's not the same word that we've seen as wisdom so far. And they don't quite know what to do with it because what it means is the kind of insight, the kind of seeing that always works. The word we have in English is success. And yeah, yeah, we really don't want to put success in the Bible. That, that, would, that would lead people to think that God's going to bless them always. And then when they find chastisement, they don't know what to do with it because we can't see the chastisement as success. Ah, that's the problem. And then when I do something, it doesn't work out and the Lord disciplines me to have to trust him anyway. That's sound wisdom. 
That's success. Job, when he's on the ash pit, asking for God to give him his word, that's success. We want to think it's just you know, money, again, silver. But, so don't lose this though. It really does say he stores up success for the upright. You are going to succeed the rest of your life in having the Holy Spirit through the words of Jesus Christ keep you seeing with wisdom toward the last day unto the resurrection where indeed nothing but success shall reign, true victory forever and ever. Believe that. Believe that even when it doesn't feel like that and you've got wisdom. He says, sound wisdom for the upright. The upright are a category in the Proverbs and the Psalms, uh, other places in the Old Testament as well, but primarily in the Proverbs and the Psalms. It's a way of distinguishing the good from the evil. So the opposite of upright is wicked. Those are the opposites. They work against each other. There are the upright, there are the wicked. Uh, The wicked then do have, and we'll see this, uh, other words connected to the word wickedness, and they all have to do with being bent or being twisted, being uh, off to the side, not straight. And so think about if you stand upright, right, versus standing bent over. This is a picture of what it means to know who God is and what it means to not know who God is. Does that mean if you get osteoporosis in your 90s, you know, you're, you're, you're wicked? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Uh-huh. However, osteoporosis is the result of a sinful condition, is it not? And in fact, when you know you are innocent, don't you lift your head high? Just stand up straight and look around without fear. That, that's the idea. And again, so he stores up success for the upright, for those who have their head up high. Now, don't confuse that with justification by works. Remember that you are declared upright by grace alone, through faith alone, for the sake of Christ alone. And that's how you know, because of what Christ has done on the cross, he is storing up for you uprightness, which means the true success of seeing clearly in the darkness, not to mention seeing the dawn when the day does indeed come. Yeah, So that he, he, the Lord Jesus, he is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Integrity just means to be honest with yourself. It doesn't mean that you're actually good. It means that when you're bad, you're honest about it. (laughs) You're honest about the fact that you're you're bad. Jesus Christ is a shield to those who confess their sins. Now think of a shield again. I know we don't use them these days. Why would you? But if you were ever on a field of battle against some guy with a sword, you'd be really glad you had that shield. Or maybe there's some guy with some arrows that are set on fire. He's shooting them at you and you got this big shield. You can get right behind that thing. Yeah, Jesus Christ is a shield to you who aren't going to lie about you, but are going to accept what he says about you. That you are, in fact, bent by nature and need to be made upright. And that, of course, the cross is where this has taken place. Yeah. He then guards, verse 8, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Um, let's just start with that word saints there at the end. It's, it's fine. It's okay as a translation. But um, saints is a, it's a strange English word. 
And not just because the Roman Catholic Church has made it so that only some Christians are saints. I mean, that's a problem. It is a problem. Um, but even saying, well, we're all saints, doesn't make the word make more sense. Right? Well, what's a saint? Well, the word means a holy person. And there, it doesn't get easier, does it? Holy? What's holy mean? Like special? Actually, yes. Um, uh, every year we do this campaign called the Set Apart Stewardship Series. Well, set apart means holy. The Holy Stewardship Series. To be holy is to be set apart. To be a saint is to be set apart. Notice the distinction. There's saints and there's not saints. Now, that's the word saint. The word here in the Hebrew isn't even the word that should be translated as saints. The word here is beloved. Beloved. Kessid. You've probably heard me say that one before. Kessid. The steadfast, unyielding fidelity and loyalty of God to you. Huh? So then he watches over the way of those whom he is calling beloved. He guards your path. He sees your way before you, right? He guards this again, path of justice. Now that word justice is going to show up again in the next verse. If you've been around long enough, you've heard me say this one too. The word is mishpat, mishpat. You could write it M-I-S-H-P-A-T. To have good mishpat is to have the measurement where it's supposed to be, right? So imagine that you, you buy a tape measure and you go to do a project uh, in, your, um, in your garage and you measure out uh, 10 inches and then you make a little nodge right there in the wood and you go and you measure out 10 inches again and you kind of make a nodge there, but you're not careful. And so you got, you know, a millimeter or three there between the two nodges. That's bad mishpat. And what happens when you have bad mishpat is you two put those two pieces of wood together and, oh, look, there's a little hole. It didn't quite line up the way it's supposed to. So God watches over the paths of your measurement. He's measuring your life out for you. And you're like, it came up short. And he's like, no, it didn't. I'm giving you success. I don't see it. You're not supposed to. You're supposed to believe it. How do I know? He is risen. Hallelujah. Okay, so he guards mishpat. He guards measurement. It's justice there in the English. Verse 10 now. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. The word there is nephesh, spirit. Knowledge will be pleasant to your spirit. Notice again the repetition, understanding, wisdom, knowledge. Discretion. Oh, I skipped a verse. I knew I I, I was going to talk about justice. Verse 9, go backwards. So again, he's he's guarding the path of justice. He's watching over the way of his saints. Verse 9, then you will understand, that word came back, righteousness and justice and equity. Remember that to understand is to tell the difference. You will understand, you will tell the difference between righteousness and justice and equity. If you want to write down three more words in a triangle on the other side of your page, do those three. So I won't make you this time, but but those three, they're worth looking at. They're amazing words because they not only talk about the way the world works, and I'll explain that, but they're also biblical salvation words. Let's start there. Righteousness. 
the whole idea of justification by grace through faith for the sake of Christ is that the righteousness of God is different than the righteousness of man. And God is giving the righteousness of God to you in Jesus. So that your own righteousness, which is kind of like filthy rags, isn't even necessary so far as judgment day is concerned. Measurement day. Yeah? That's the next word. Justice. Judgment day is coming. God is going to measure everybody's life. Thought, word, deed, open the books, read it out loud, embarrass you if you earned it which all of us know we have. Let's have some integrity and admit that. But the righteousness of God is going to be greater than the measurement on that day based on you. That day is coming. It's worth knowing about, knowing the difference between judgment day as you and judgment day as you in Christ. Ah, this will enter your heart again. It will lead your path. And then uh, that final of the three words, righteousness, justice, and equity. Uh, that's a word that, that means like symmetry or balance. You might think measurement means balance, but not, not really. Uh, measurement is, is more like uh, uh, having it be the same over and over again. Good mishpat is repeatable. Yeah? Symmetry is the result of good mishpat. Uh, the word can refer to scales, how you would have a scale that, that is balanced perfectly. You got this much silver and this much temple shekel on either side, and they're right as opposed to having the temple shekel filled with dross so that it weighs it differently, right? So symmetry works that way. But one of the things I love about this word, again, equity, as it's translated, is that it is the word used by chronicles to describe every good king. They're all this. They're all equitable. It means that everything about their, their reign as kings is where it should be, in good balance, not going to fall over. Which, since Jesus Christ is the final king who is risen and raised and ascended to the highest heaven, to understand the distinction between the righteousness of God, the judgment day that's coming, and his balanced reign right now, that's pretty good theology, I think. Yeah. Now, to help a little bit, that word righteousness... Um, excuse me, let's start with justice. That word justice, I already told you, is measurement. It's good measurement. Yeah? The word righteousness, the root means to be accurate. And you might say, well, my, my, uh, my ruler, my 12-inch long ruler, needs to be accurate to be good measurement. You're right. Okay, so they're related to each other. But again, measurement, mishpat, means to have like 15 rulers and they're all 12 inches long. They're all righteous. So righteousness, accuracy is a more individual thing, and measurement is more of a, a group or a world thing. So you have accuracy, measurement, and then I already said that word equity, symmetry, to have things that are balanced. Right? So let's say someday we want to build a cathedral. What do you say? Let's do it. You got a couple million bucks lying around? Huh? Let's put up a cathedral right here. We're going to need accuracy, measurement, and symmetry. Yeah? We want to design it with symmetry so that when you look at it, it's pretty. It's not all uh, lopsided and weird and shaped all bizarre. Yeah? And to do that, to get the symmetry, you're going to have to be able to measure consistently. I mean, you ever looked at how these things are built? They're really quite something. They're pieces of wood that have been kind of bent and fused to each other, and they have to match up at the top. Good measurement, whoever did that. I mean, 
not my favorite design in the whole universe, but, but really good measurement here. And then up at the top where they meet, that's accurate. Because of the good measurement, that's accurate. So you have the symmetry and the measurement and the accuracy all coming together to form, well, understanding again. Or maybe even something better, what's the next word? Every good path. A good path, a good road, a good parking lot, right? It's going to have accuracy, measurement, and symmetry to it. All right, so when you begin to make such distinctions, not only in terms of the difference between the sun going up and the sun going down, but the difference between whether or not he's risen and he is risen. Alleluia. When you can see the difference between a resurrected God and an idea that you just make up and hope is true, verse 10, wisdom will come into your heart. You're going to see. You're going to see. Yeah. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Knowing the truth is going to feel good. You're going to want more of it, even when you feel bad. Yeah. Verse 11, discretion will watch over you. Um, that is one of my absolute favorite Hebrew words, discretion. I don't think discretion is a good, a good description of it. My favorite word for that is framework, but that probably sounds as bad as saying the Hebrew word would. Um, the idea here is something that holds together that you can use in the future to judge stuff, right? Maybe you've got five rules for life written down on your, on your refrigerator. And every day you look at those rules in order to know the next day what you knew yesterday and keep it the same. That's this word, discretion, right? Framework, a, a way of thinking, right? Thinking right, thinking the way God thinks will watch over you. Ah, oh, the Holy Spirit's inside you with these words. There it is again, understanding, telling the difference, will guard you. Is this something you're going to do? No, it's something God's going to do by filling you with wisdom, delivering you, verse 12, from the way of evil. Now, from verse 12 and, and forward, it's going to talk about what evil is. We've done a lot of what good is. Righteousness, judgment, equity, right? That, that's good. Evil now, I already mentioned, it's, it's bent and it's twisted, right? So he's going to deliver us. He's going to give us away from evil. Um, by the way, remember, Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. Where did Jesus get that? <laughs> I think he read this book. I really do. Um, what is evil, though? Let's, let's define it as it goes forward. The first thing is from men of perverted speech. Now, I know in English, perverted is a sexual reference. It's not in Hebrew. To be sure, what it says in Hebrew can be applied to sexuality when it's wrong. But the idea here, again, is that it's crooked. It's bent. So God's word, as the ability to tell the difference, is going to guard you from men whose words are bent. Yeah. You could just say they lie. Yeah, but maybe they didn't lie. Maybe they just subtly didn't tell the truth. Their heart's desire to, to go around your understanding. Why? For their own benefit. For their own benefit. So again, the words of knowledge are going to guard you from these men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness. They don't try to walk up in the daylight. They're going to crouch down and hide and get behind a corner to, well, take advantage of you to walk in the ways of darkness. 
We're going to look at two more verses here. Who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. There's your crookedness again, and crooked's going to come back in verse 15. Men whose paths are crooked, think twisted, not straight, and who are devious, again, bent in their ways. So kind of taking a page out of Galatians chapter 6 that we, we just looked at briefly there a few moments ago, uh, the, the hunger that the Christian community has, knowing that we're under grace. We have the true God. We're here together now. He's left us here. The hunger is that we would choose good paths together. That we would strive to walk straight and upright as in the daytime and not crooked and twisted and hidden and bent as in the darkness. This really means to walk as one who is unashamed. And don't get me wrong, I got plenty of shame, but I know where to take it now. I take it to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I take it to the atoning sacrifice in his blood. I don't let it stop me from walking forward. Yeah? Am I perfect at this? No, I'm not, I'm not trying to lift myself up as if I don't stumble. I do stumble. When I stumble, I know that the measurement God uses isn't me. It's Jesus. I know that Jesus just is standing there at the, at the foot of my falling and saying, here you are. I got you. Look, my wounds. See them in my hands? I did that for you. Get up. Oh, my God and my Lord. And I get up and I stumble again. But the idea, again, for the Christian community is that we want to keep walking toward that, toward seeing Jesus, toward being a people who are under that grace, toward being a people from whom that grace is not only what we receive, but it's also what we give. Because honestly, I mean, does it feel good to come to a church and have someone snap at you? Does it feel good to come to a church and have nobody notice you? St. Paul, you're really good at noticing people, by the way. By and large, you've been exceptional greeters since the day I walked in the door. Uh, You welcome people. Now, let me suggest we're at a point in our history where we could lose that. You know why? Because you all like each other so much. But one of the neatest things about St. Paul right now is that if, if you don't walk straight out the door and shake my hand, the people who stick around, they stick around forever. Oh, I want to go home. Uh, but it's great. It's wonderful. But guess what happens when you're so happy to stick around and talk? You're talking to the person you know. You're catching up from last week. You're doing this and that. And then the person who's new doesn't get seen. I actually watched that happen last week. And it's okay. They'll come if they hear the shepherd's voice. It's not our friendliness that draws them. It's it's the word of Jesus that draws them. But I would like us to continue wanting to be that church that sees everybody. See them for who they are. See them for the help that they need. See them to bear their burden. Because that's, again, what we're free to be. We're not going to gain profit by doing this. We're just going to be what Jesus has freed us to be. And again, I suggest to you that just a little time in the Proverbs every single day. I mean, Solomon just said it. If if you seek it, if you call out for it, if you chase it, it's going to come. Your eyes are going to be open. Your heart's going to understand. You're going to stand upright. Even, Even as you bow and kneel to receive the final upright man in your your hand and drink his blood on your lips in the name of Jesus.